0: Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin our worship service this morning. We have a few announcements before we begin. I'd like to take this moment to welcome each and every one of you that's here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. We have a different situation on the fourth Sunday of the month. We have church. And then we go have lunch and we come back at one o'clock. We'd like to invite you to stay and have lunch with us. And if you can, return at one o'clock for our afternoon service. There will be no four o'clock service. A couple things before we begin also. I'd like to it's sad to announce that Junior Sullivan passed away yesterday afternoon. Keep Connie and Greg and Kim in your prayers. Roger Pryor is in St. Mary's hospital. As of yesterday, I don't know what room number yet. Also, our children, young adult kids, high school and chaperones are on their way back from Gatlinburg this morning. That son is From that one car out there in front of us, is on their way back from Gatlinburg. Keep them in your prayers today that they have safe passage home. And there's others that are traveling. Keep them in your prayers also. I'd like to read, before we begin, Ephesians 2, starting with verse 8, if you'd like to follow along. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That, all, that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those of, on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us for your Son who came and died for us. We're thankful for this opportunity that we have to come and worship you in truth. We pray, Father, that the things we do today are pleasing unto you in accordance with your will. Father, again, we ask your blessings on one of our family members that's lost a loved one. We ask that you bless the Sullivan family at the passing of Brother Junior. Give them strength. Pray that they look to you for guidance and help. We also ask that you be with Roger Pryor as he's in the hospital. Bless him. Be with our children and, and, and our chaperones as they return home from a weekend in Gatlinburg. Pray that they have safe passage. Bless our others that are traveling this day. We ask, Father, that you go with us through this worship service. Be with John as he leads us into singing, as we surround our table, and as Chris presents us with a lesson. Forgive us. In thy son's name we pray. And Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please?
1: First 10 this morning, number 782,
2: Worthy Art Thou. Worthy of Christ Christ our Redeemer, Worthy of glory forever.
1: to him this morning, number 761. 761, where he leads, I'll follow. <clears throat> and after this and Brother Rick Keister will have our scripture reading and prayer. Sweet are the promises,
2: time is the word. dearer her heart the message man ever heard. Pure was the light We
3: today is from Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Jesus is instructing John to deliver these messages to the seven churches of Asia and in verse 10 to the church at Smyrna he says do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you at this time. Giving you all the glory and the honor and the respect and deference that we can. Acknowledging you as our God, as our creator, our sustainer of life, our savior. And the one that we pray we will be with throughout eternity once this life is over. We pray, Father, that as we gather as a group of your children this morning that we will each do what we can to focus our thoughts on why we are here and that is to glorify you, to praise you, give thanks to you, to learn more about you and to observe the remembrance feast of the Lord's Supper that you have established for us so that we can always keep the sacrifice that you and your son, Jesus, made on our behalf so that we could have that opportunity to spend eternity with you. We pray, Father, that as we enter into this worship uh, in more detail that everything we do will please you, that the things that we do will be our best effort at mimicking the pattern that we find in your word for what you expect of Christians throughout history since the foundation of the church to do as we gather on the first day of the week. We pray that we will be edified, strengthened, so that as we leave this place, that we will be able to go out into the world and be the examples that you want us to be before our fellow men. That we will be an individual who speaks freely about our beliefs and about your word and about our conviction, about how important your word is in our lives. That we will have prepared ourselves and will continue to prepare ourselves to be able to defend our hope that we have in heaven. we pray Father that you will be with those who are not here this morning. We have mentioned some who are grieving, some who are ill. Uh, we have some who are, are can, uh, have an ongoing circumstance where illness is a part of their life and we pray Father that they will look to you for strength, uh, that they will derive uh, comfort from that seeking from you that they will be able to endure and um, recover from what they are undergoing uh, at this point in their lives. We pray for them and we keep them in our thoughts. Father. We pray, Father, that as we gather around the table in just a few moments that each of us will do what we can to Focus our thoughts on your son and his sacrifice, his willing sacrifice to go to the cross on our behalf and for our sins. And as we partake of that bread and that fruit of the vine, Father, we pray that each of us will reflect on our own lives, examine ourselves so that we might partake in a worthy manner, that we might focus our thoughts on you and him. And what that sacrifice means not only to us, but to all of mankind. We pray, Father, for this congregation. We pray for uh, its leadership. We pray for those who serve in various capacities. That we, as a church of yours, will be the shining example in this community and elsewhere. That we should be on your behalf. We pray, Father, that as we go through the rest of this worship, that we will enter into it with enthusiasm, with attention, with all that is necessary to gain the most from having been here this morning. We thank you for your son's sacrifice for us, and it's within his name that we offer this prayer. Amen.
1: next time this morning, number 764, 760, 764, when we meet in Sweet Communion. Uh. <clears throat>
2: no,
4: As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper this morning, I'll be reading from uh, two sections of scripture from from Luke, beginning with Luke chapter 2, verses um, 10 through 14. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And then Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. You know, God knew long before the prophets spoke about it in the Old Testament, long before Adam and Eve, and long before the foundation of the earth was breathed into existence that he was going to have to send his son to save us from our sins. And from Jesus' first breath as an infant to his last breath, on the cross, we see God's plan of salvation. By sending his perfect son to to live as, as we live, however, without any sin, and sending his son to the cross to be a sacrifice for each one of us so that we could be forgiven of our sins once and for all and be brought into a relationship with God. So this morning, as we prepare to take the bread and the fruit of the cup, Let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross, and let's also remember the the love and compassion that God showed us through this plan of salvation. Let's pray for the bread. Father in heaven, we humbly approach you this morning, Father, as we remember, Lord, the the events of the cross, Father, as, as we reflect upon your son, Jesus, your perfect son, that you sent to the cross, Father, to to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to to save us, Father, to to provide a way that we could come into a, a relationship with you, Father, to have the hope of eternal life that we now enjoy, Father, because of that sacrifice. We are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful that you loved us so much that you you provided a, a way for us to be saved, Father. And, this time, Lord, we ask your blessings upon this bread, which represents Jesus' body on the cross. And just pray that you would be with each one of us as we partake of it. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Go to God again in prayer. Dear God, we come to you once again, Father, remembering the, the blood, Father, that was shed by your Son Jesus. That now covers over our many sins, Father, and, and gives us that forgiveness and hope, eternal life. We're so thankful again for your son Jesus, for the suffering that he endured, the blood that he shed. this time we ask your blessings upon this fruit of the vine which represents that blood it's through jesus christ we pray amen That concludes the the Lord's Supper. This time, uh, it's a convenient time for us to take up an offering as well. Just a reminder, we do have the two bins in the back that you can drop your offering in at your convenience. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, just thanking you for all the many blessings that you give us. Father, we are truly blessed people. We live in a truly blessed generation. Father, you've given us so much uh, from our homes and our cars and to all the uh, beautiful building to worship you in, Father, just so much, Father. We are truly blessed, and Father, we just ask that you would be with us uh, in our giving this morning. Pray that each one of us will will give with a cheerful heart, Father, and that you will bless the funds that are collected, Lord. Pray that they are used in a manner that is consistent with, with your will, with your word, That'll be used to uh, to bring more people to know you, Father. And we just uh, again thank you for all that you do for us. As through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
1: That's all. Please stand again. We'll sing hymn, hymn number eight hundred, Zion's Call. I'm right here. Zion's Call. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible Hour. I hope this one. <clears throat> <Daddy. clears throat> Zion's Call sweetly brings
2: over land and sea. Many paths look to grass above. By the light, of God with God kind of
1: 389
5: 389 let him have his way with me. To... good morning, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, for us to take a break from the book of Hebrews which has been just a blessing for us I think uh, and and turn around and look at maybe a response that we should have to what's going on in uh, Ukraine and in Russia uh, this week. Um, grab your Bibles, let's look at maybe a biblical response to to what's going on. I know there are going to be lots of questions that we interact with from uh, our friends who are not believers and our friends who are believers uh, as this conflict continues to heat up uh, there's going to be some biblical questions uh, people may not know that they're biblical questions but there are biblical answers to these questions and so god has a say in this and and how we should think about it and the things that we should do about it he he cares and those things matter and so this is not just a political question i try to get out of politics i'm not a very political person but i'm a bible person and a, a lot most of what we view as political questions are actually religious questions god 's got to got to say and how we should think and what we should be doing in some of these things so we 're going to talk about several of those questions today. We may even answer some questions that you may not have thought to ask uh, there 's going to be some things that pop up I think throughout this conflict that uh, we need to be thinking through that, that maybe aren't as apparent as some of the other ones. And so I, I kind of wanted to spend some time thinking with you through it today. Again, this is a biblical matter. This is not necessarily just a political one. But this this is a biblical thing. And so there's, there's going to be some intersection here uh, with biblical ideals that we, we're just going to think through. So I think... Uh, one of the questions you're going to hear throughout this series is going to be, or one of the, one of the questions you're going to hear throughout this conflict is, well, "Where's God in the midst of this thing?" There's so much pain. There's already been so much pain in the midst of this um, conflict. Where's God in the midst of this? Especially when you you, you find out, uh, you think through that there, as of 2014, there are are were more churches of christ in ukraine than there were in the rest of europe combined there's a bible belt going on in europe and it's centered in ukraine and so you only think why is why is god allowing this why where is he at when all this is going on well quite frankly he is where he has always been he's reigning on his throne sovereign over over everything and so why is this happening well this is what happens when you allow a superpower president when he allows sin to run rampant through his life finally if you were to allow greed or power or lust or any other sin to run rampant in your life you find similar consequences of pain and fallout right we're familiar with that yeah when um When David was king over Israel and he uh, counted the people when God did not desire him to count the people. It's called a census. And when when he did that without God's approval, do you remember what happens? There was thousands and thousands of deaths. And in fact, David himself had to pay dearly for this particular sin. Something that we viewed, that he probably viewed as a very political question. It wasn't a political question at all. It was a religious question. He just hadn't framed it right. During his sin with Bathsheba, he probably viewed that as a personal thing, didn't he? Maybe some of us think this is Ukraine's problem. David probably thought that this was his problem. It's not his problem. This, was, this is sin. And so... When we allow sin to run rampant in our life, run un, unchecked, these are the kinds of consequences that we come in contact with, and, and you see that um, in what's going on in Ukraine right now through one man's one man's sin, one man's greed, his, his ideal for power. As Christians, as God's people, He demands that we exert control over ourselves, but not just any kind of control his control that we view the world that we view our actions that we view everything through his lens through his priorities through the way that he would have us to live through his kingdom and so when we look at sin we need to see it as something that we keep farther than arm's length away This needs to be something that we run away from, that we get close to God and and keep it far away. Free will is called up in the midst of this, right? And so when you hear someone say, well, where is God in the midst of this? Free will is the answer to that question. Free will is what it looks like when a leader of a superpower allows greed and power to run rampant throughout his life. So we have free will. God allows us to act and interact with each other in ways that are hurtful for us and in ways that are not good for our faith and for faith around the world. He allows that. We'll talk about why He allows that in just a second. But He allows that and that's one of the things that you're seeing right now. So free will is is the answer to that question. Self-control is the answer to the problem, though, allowing God to focus your life and lining up your life by His ideals and His morals is the answer to, to this question. Turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. While we're thinking about where is God in the midst of this, the answer is not just free will. It, it, that's a component of this question. It's a big question, right? <clears throat> but free will isn't the only answer. There's more that God's at work in in this question. When you think, well, God is, where's God in the midst of this of this pain, of this conflict? James chapter 1 tells us one of the places that he is. Um, look what he says in James 1, verses 2 through 4. This is how James opens up this, this really practical book, writing to people who are in the first century who are more persecuted than maybe the church has ever been. This is what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that trials are good. At least they can be. Right? Pain. Pain can be good, it's possible that growth can come out of this. Romans 8, 28 reminds us that God works together all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, right? He brings good out of pain. And one of the good things that He brings out of a struggle like this, a a conflict, a pain like this is, Steadfastness, that's something we need, right? Often, uh, I feel like our our faith is is moved like waves in the ocean, and James is going to talk about that later in his book here. We're not very steadfast. He says, well, you want to be steadfast? You have to go through fire to get there, right? You don't get steadfastness, you don't get this kind of spiritual growth without pain. There's not an easy road to get there, right? It's like wisdom or knowledge. You don't get it just dumped on you. Spiritual growth, steadfastness. He says it, it doesn't, you can't just download it. It's not an easy process. You have to walk through, David would say, the valley of the shadow of death, right? To get there. So where is God in the midst of this? Well, He's reigning sovereign in heaven where He was in the first century. When the Romans were trying to obliterate the church. Incidentally, they were unsuccessful, and so, so will Russia be. The church is going to be just fine. We'll talk about that in just a second, too, though. But where is God in the midst of this? Well, He is growing faith. Because faith grows best inside of pain, inside of struggle. Now, you can see the opposite side of that coin probably in your own life. I certainly have. Where pain comes into your life, a struggle comes into your life, something that's uncomfortable and hard comes into your life. And, and what do we tend to do sometimes? Sometimes we turn our backs on God and we get farther away from Him. And that's not helpful and that doesn't produce steadfastness, does it? But there's, there's two options. Again, free will, Right? You have options in the midst of, of a painful conflict. You can turn your back on God or you can turn toward Him. If you turn toward Him, you, you, you kind of shelter inside of Him. Then what happens? James promises us that we get steadfastness. You're, you're immovable. Rock-solid faith. So where's God in the midst of this? I suppose he's He's growing our faith, isn't he? You've probably heard the analogy before, the illustration before, of how silver is refined. I'm, I'm assuming. seems to be a favorite preacher story, but I'll tell it to you anyhow because I like it too. When silversmiths are refining silver, the ore that, that silver comes from, they put it in a big pot and they turn the heat up a little bit. And... The, the, as the silver ore starts melting down, the impurities rise to the top. And they get a ladle and they scoop off the impurities and they throw it away and they turn the heat up again, right? The impurities rise to the top, they scoop it off with the ladle and they throw that away and then they turn the heat up again and until eventually you're left with pure silver. God's doing the exact same thing with trials in our lives and in Ukraine right now with their faith. I just can't get the the picture of Ukrainian Christians meeting, singing in subways and worshiping despite the coming tanks and and all the things that are coming their way. I can't get that out of my head. I come back to James chapter 1 when I'm thinking through that because he's producing steadfastness in their faith through their pain. It's a principle that works for everybody throughout time. It worked in the first century. It's going to work today too. Pain if you're faithful in it, produces steadfastness. And incidentally, steadfastness in our faith is really what we're after, isn't it? It doesn't really matter how well you take care of your body. You can eat right. You can sleep right. You can do all the things right. You can put yourself in bubble wrap and walk around. Guess what's going to happen one day. You're going to die. You're not here to get out of life without pain. You're here to be produced in a steadfast faith. And pain is one of the ways that God does that. So, where's God in the midst of this? He's there in the middle of this, working overtime. He does his best work in the midst of pain, right? Flip over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 12. Paul is concerned about this thorn in the flesh that he's had for a great many years at this point, I suppose. We don't know very much about it. We know that Paul hates it and he wants it to be rid of it. And he prays to God, in fact, three times that God will remove this thing from him. What's, what's God's answer here in 2 Corinthians 12? My grace is made sufficient in your weakness. He works overtime in our weakness if we turn toward him, right? So that seems to be what the Ukrainian Christians are doing, at least a great many of them are turning to Him in, in droves like they never have before. And there's a lesson there for us as well. When we come in contact with a painful situation that is hard, and a situation that we don't want to be in, and we wonder where God is in the midst of this, He's working overtime. He's pulling a double shift. He's doing more in the midst of the pain than He even does in good times. He's producing in you a steadfast faith which is the goal of Christianity, isn't it? We're not going to get out of life alive. Pain produces in us something that He can use for His glory, something that's good for us. So not all pain is bad. It depends on what you do with it, doesn't it? Not all hard things are bad. It depends on what you do with it. Of course, none of us want to be in a difficult situation, some of us are. That's life. It happens, doesn't it? It's not what we want. And certainly you pray to have it alleviated like Paul does here. But every now and then, God will say, my grace is made perfect in your weakness. I'm producing in you a steadfast faith. so unmovable. So that when the next storm comes, you'll be much more ready to take it on, head on, because your faith has grown to this extent. When Paul was in Lystra, this, uh, uh, this city, along his first missionary journey, if you've never heard this story, this, this story is one of my favorites of Paul's. Uh, so he comes to this city in Lystra, he starts preaching, people are coming to faith, but the Jewish element there in that city does not like what Paul is preaching, and that's kind of a status quo for them. They don't enjoy that, uh, that he preaches Christ like this and that people are coming especially leaving Judaism and coming to Christ. And so they take Paul out by force. They grab him. They carry him outside of the city. They put him in a hole and they throw rocks at him until he's dead. Do You know this story? It's really incredible, right? Go back there and read Acts. They all leave. They think they've killed him. Paul gets up out of the hole like blood's got to be streaming down his face. He's got to have bruises all over his body. They thought they killed him. This is the typical way to kill people in ancient Israel. They thought they had done the job. Paul gets up out of the hole, climbs up out of the hole. And what does he do? He walks right back into the city. This guy's faith, his pain had produced in him apparently steadfastness, hadn't it? This isn't the first time we meet Paul. He's already a mature Christian by that point. When the storm came, he had already been so faithful in previous storms that his faith was steadfast and he wasn't going to allow anything to move him. That's the glory, I suppose, of pain. It can do that. God can use it to do that in us. So where's God in the midst of this? He's He's working overtime in the midst of this situation. Turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, my, my first thought every time, it doesn't matter where the conflict happens, it's more poignant, I suppose, in Ukraine because there's so many churches there that, uh, we're aware of and people there that uh, several of us know, even. I've done mission trips over there and things like that. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. There's six degrees of separation and in the church, there's like two or three degrees of separation. So you know somebody who knows somebody very well who lives in Ukraine and is struggling right now. and You, you can see that on Facebook pretty clearly, I suppose. But, uh, Whenever things like this happen, my first thought was, "Well, how's how's the church doing? You know, what's what's going on with the church? Are they are they standing strong? What's going on?" And I'm reminded, of course, of Matthew chapter 16, right after um, Peter's incredible pronouncement of who Jesus is. In verse 18, Jesus said, "Jesus says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church." On Peter's confession that Jesus is Christ, that's the Christ, that's the bedrock statement. Jesus is after there. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So how's the church going to be? How's the church doing? Well, the church is going to be just fine. Well, how do you know? There's, there's a lot of people over there that are struggling. I get it. I, I hurt for them church is going to be just fine because jesus said it's going to be just fine because he's in control of it he's going to protect it let me show you one more illustration of this revelation chapter 12 revelation chapter 12 i don't teach very much from revelation because it takes so much uh, to get behind the symbols to get to the point of what we're trying to say but i want you to see this picture revelation chapter 12 i'll start in verse 1 i'm gonna read a couple verses here You just kind of find the symbol, and we'll talk about it when we get done reading. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. So who's the dragon? Satan's the dragon, right? Every time in, in the Old te- or every time in Revelation, he's referred to as the dragon. He's talking about Satan. So then we got to figure out who the woman is, right? So if you're thinking about it, uh, but she's pregnant. Tells uh, in verse four, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So he wants to kill the child that this woman is going to. To give. Verse 5 She gave birth to a male child, so we know it's a boy. And he gets even more specific. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. So that little designation, rod of iron, is a very clear way in the Old Testament to refer to Jesus. This, so this woman is Jesus' mother. It's not Mary, though. It's Jesus' mother, but it's not Mary. I'll tell you who I think it is in just a second. So Satan is attempting to kill Jesus, uh, the boy who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was called up to God into his throne. He's safe. Satan can't get to him. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has been where a place is prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 12 uh, 1260 days. So, what's going on here? I think that the woman in the first section here is Israel. If you want to if you take notes in your scripture, you may need a lot of room because it's Revelation. But the first section here, I think she's Israel, physical Israel. And then she has Jesus. Jesus came came through the lineage of the Jewish people, right? And so Israel, his spiritual mother, brought him down through Israel. Um, brought him to 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 birth um and satan wanted to kill him but he couldn't kill him jesus went back up to god after the resurrection and now when he's talking about the woman was nourished for 1260 days he switched it's no longer physical israel but it's spiritual israel he's talking about the church now and so he's nourishing the church he's kept her safe it's the same thought you find in matthew 16 verse 18 it's just a a more poignant picture, I suppose, in, in Revelation chapter 12. So I wanted to tie those two thoughts in your head together today. God will take care of his church. Satan will not is not allowed to overcome her. Now, can you walk away from the church? Absolutely. Can you walk away from God? Yes. People have done that. We know that. That'll happen there, too. That'll happen in Ukraine, too. In fact, it's it's happened over the last five or seven years when Times get hard. We know that sometimes people turn away, but sometimes people turn toward God too, right? But as a whole, Satan's not allowed to take over the church. He can't hurt her. Not in any substantial way. At least God will not allow it. If you doubt that, go back and do your history a little bit. In the first century... Rome was the most visceral attacker of Christianity. Rome hated the church, and Rome, the empire, tried to obliterate the church. The church grew more in the first century under Rome's persecution, maybe, than it ever has. Because pain produces steadfastness, right? You see how these two thoughts are connected? Rome wasn't successful, and Russia's not going to be successful either. The fourth thing I want you to think about is where's God in the midst of this is it's incumbent upon us to do what we can to help. It's Ukraine. I'm not saying go to Ukraine and fight. I'm saying if you're not hurting for these people, something's going on with your heart that you might want to take a look into. If there's something going on there, First Peter chapter 5 Flip over there real quick. First Peter chapter 5. Let's we'll start in verse 8. Remember, this is not a political question necessarily. This is a religious question. So we, we turn to Scripture to answer these, these types of questions. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Previous to verse 11, you'll see that Peter notes that not only are the people that he's writing to suffering, but he says the same sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. We're not being attacked physically, right? But Satan is just as at work in our lives as he is in theirs. It's just taken a different name in Ukraine than it has here, right? Satan's using... Russia and all this stuff over there to to advance his purposes. He's using Satan. Satan's using things in your life to advance his purposes too. So what I'm saying is the same struggles you're experiencing, they're experiencing, maybe in a more profound way. Certainly, but we're on this together, right? We're we're a unit. But when we struggle, when they struggle. We struggle too, right? And so there's comfort in knowing that we're we're in this together, and that we can help each other. The bare minimum we should be doing is praying for them, right? That's something we can all do. Um, there are uh, resources uh, that maybe we'll we'll talk about later. Uh, ways that you can help uh, Ukraine, uh, the refugees, and maybe even the church. Uh, the church is there. Uh, if you'd like that information, maybe I can I can put you in contact with those people, but uh, it's incumbent upon us to help in whatever way we can. Final thing I want to, I want to think through in just this first question is where is where is God in, in the midst of this? Um, you're going to hear a lot of people say, "Isn't God a God of peace? Doesn't He love peace? He does, right? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right?" I think he defines peace differently than than you're going to define peace, though. He defines peace as a reconciliation with him. It's not a lack of conflict. If If conflict brings you into reconciliation with God, he would be okay with that, right? He's okay with pain bringing us to him. He uses pain to do that, right? So he is a God of peace, but he is focused on reconciliation with you. That's that's his goal. His goal is not a a lack of conflict. It's, It's reconciliation with himself. He cares when we suffer. The Bible teaches us that. Time and time again, he cares when we suffer. But wars seem to be a consequence of being human and insisting on our own way and getting, demanding our own way. And So when you hear someone blame this conflict on God, you can remind them a couple things. People have free will. We did this. Not God. We did this. Free will. Sin destroys everything it touches. Right? We know that. Sin destroys everything it touches. And the final thing maybe you need to remind them of is a relationship with Him, with God, is the only answer. Right? We're not so much interested in a lack of conflict because God's not so much interested in a lack of conflict. We're much more interested in reconciliation with God because that's His heart. That's what He wants. He is the only answer to all of this because sin is... The problem, you can't deal with sin with a gun, you can't deal with sin with a dictator, you can't deal with any of that stuff. It doesn't work. That's not the answer. You can only deal with sin with Jesus. Second thing I want you to think about is, as we close, don't let this make you anxious. Um, we've already heard a little bit of talk about this being the largest land assault since World War II, and if you kind of steep yourself in, excuse me, if you kind of steep yourself in the news cycle. What happens? I know my mind just gets more and more frantic. i I jump to the worst possible scenarios. But if you steep yourself in the Word of God, what happens? I find myself being more and more resolute. I think often when a conflict like this or a a major event in the world happens like this, we just run to whatever your favorite news channel is. I don't think that's the right answer. Well, why not? Because this isn't a political question. This is a Bible question. And so you, you go to Scripture, you go to the one who knows the answers to all these questions. So don't allow this to make you make you anxious. You dive back into Scripture and allow Him to comfort you. Final thing I want to talk about, just in our final few minutes here, is there's gonna be a lot of strong opinions. Uh, about how this war should be handled. Don't don't buy into the idea that politics takes precedence over your religion. Sometimes we like to play armchair president, knowing we? uh, you're welcome to your opinion all the way up until the point your opinion starts distracting from Jesus's cause. So you can have your opinion, right? I can have my opinion. Opinions are fine, all the way up until the point that it starts distracting from Jesus's cause. So if you're playing armchair president on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any other social networks out there, I'll let you in on a little secret. I think it's probably true. Um, president Biden doesn't read your account. <laughs> uh, Vladimir Putin doesn't read your account. But who does you read your account? Some of your friends and some of your family members who either need encouragement, who need a Christian worldview on this thing, on this topic maybe some people who are asking some of these similar questions, they're going to be reading your account. They'll be reading your posts. And if what we post distracts them or pushes them farther away from the cause of Christ, we've done damage to the kingdom. So be about what you post. For us as Christians, as people who live in this world, um, as you post, make sure that everything you say has been prayerfully mulled over for a bit to make sure it's not a bad idea. I want to leave you this with this verse from James. Keep on turning to James during stuff like this because it's so practical. This is what he says in James 1, verse 19. I, I think it's a good thought for us to live through or to live by uh, during times like this. Uh, James 1 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Alright? Quick to hear. Hear out other people. Listen to their opinions. Slow to speak. Sometimes we put our foot in our mouth, don't we? Sometimes we're like Peter, we got a, a foot-shaped mouth, uh, a foot-shaped mouth. We need to be slow to speak. We also need to be slow to speak. To anger. Well, why? Keep reading, right? Verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you get mad, nine times out of ten, nine and a half, nine point nine times out of ten, it's not producing God's righteousness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with bigness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's be very careful as we think through and try to help The people around us, as well as ourselves, work through the biblical ramifications of something like this. Don't allow it to make you anxious. But also think, mull over prayerfully for a long time before you you post something or say something. Because if we're detracting from the cause of Christ over a war, we've done damage to a kingdom. That we need. We've done damage to a kingdom that. Is unassailable. And that is not. At our. Charge. We're a part of it. But we're not in control of it. And so we need to think. Before we, we, we say or before we post. As we think about. Trying to think through stuff like this in a biblical worldview, in a biblical manner, we automatically come back to Christ, don't we? Because He changes everything. It's impossible to look at anything, this conflict or anything else in our world, through His eyes, without allowing Him to transform your heart. It just doesn't work. He only does that through the power of baptism. You have your sins washed away, you're added to His family, and then He starts this work of changing you, transforming you more and more into His image. It's one of the benefits of being in God's family, isn't it? You don't just get a family across the world, you get a family right here, but you also get your sins washed away and, allowing him to transform you more and more into his image every day. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you just need the prayers of this congregation to stay focused, to not get distracted. We want to help you in any way we can. Won't you come today as we stand and sing?
1: Would you live for Jesus and be
2: always doing good? Would you walk within, within the devil? Would, Would you, you have a carry, body carry all your love life. Life.
4: morning. just have a few announcements. Just a reminder, as soon as we finish uh, this morning, we'll have a congregational potluck, and everyone's invited to that. And if you're visiting with us, we especially uh, would love to have you stay and share a meal with us so we get, can get to know you better. Also, uh, we'll have our 1 p.m. service uh, after the uh, potluck and no 4 p.m. service today. Stepping Stone Supper this coming Wednesday evening and that'll be from 5:30 to 6 30 and ham and scallop potatoes are on the menu for that also we are still in need of bible teachers for the spring quarter which begins wednesday uh, we have several uh, needs uh, we need a third through fifth grade uh, teacher for sunday morning a kindergarten through second grade for wednesday and a two-year-old for wednesday so if you could help out with that if you wouldn't mind to uh to sign the uh the sign-up sheet in the foyer, that would be great. Also, for those that are teaching, the education material is available in the, uh, the education room, so you can pick that up. Also, a reminder, this weekend is the Bible Bowl Bible at Centerville Church of Christ, and that is for both uh, our youth as well as adults, if you're interested. Also, men's retreat at Howes Mill Camp, and that will be coming up uh, March 18th and 19th. And if you could, uh, if you plan on attending, if you could sign up uh, again on the uh, this, uh, sheet on the foyer uh, on the foyer board uh, by March thirteenth, so we can just get a head count for that and, and make preparations. And um, also, just a reminder, ladies' Bible uh, class, and that'll be uh, this Thursday morning at ten a.m. All ladies are invited to uh, to participate in that. Also, uh, Jerry mentioned our we have a youth group. Uh, attended CYC this past weekend. They're on their way back today, but there was a baptism uh, that took place. Sam Knapp was baptized. Uh, Sam is the son of Derek and Aaron Knapp. They've been attending and worshiping with us for a a few months now, so uh, happy to hear that. Also, uh, as far as prayer list, just continue to keep Kristen and and family in our prayers. Jennifer Baker uh, will be starting treatment this week for breast cancer, so let's keep her and Casey and family in our prayers. Uh, Marvin Jordan continues to, to recuperate at home. And Sue Powell, uh, she had eye surgery this past week. and went well, and she continues to uh, recover from that, as well as uh, to keep Pam Leap in our prayers as she continues to heal, heal at home as well. Uh, David is awaiting test results this week. And uh, as Jerry mentioned earlier, Roger Pryor um, continues to be at the hospital. Let's keep him in our prayers. And the passing of Junior Sullivan, funeral arrangements are incomplete at this time. That that is uh, all the announcements I have. I'm going to have uh, Jerry Stevens come up at this time.
0: A couple of weeks ago, the elders presented two men to the congregation for the appointment of deacon for the church here at Rome Dickie Parker and his wife Tanya, Greg Sullivan and his wife Ashley. You may be seated so everybody's. We, Gary Clinton, Mike, Rick, Jeremy, and myself, the elders, set today for the appointment of these men. We have received no information or reasons that these men should not be appointed as deacons to help serve our congregation. We have received positive and approving remarks. We'd like to thank you for your prayers. They will be working with the deacons and, and serving from from now on. I'd like to read also from 1 Timothy 3, starting with verse 8. Deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. But let these also be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent and slanderous, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Would you stand for the remaining song and closing prayer? Please.
1: Number 660, There is a Habitation. After this hand, Brother Joe Galloway will lead us in prayer. We'll sing the first two verses.
2: There is a habitation built by a living God for all of every nation,
3: whose
6: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning to learn more about you and to, Father, understand how you'd have us to be. Father, help us to overcome the sin that we have in our lives that keeps us from being what we need to be and how we need to be for you. Father, we are so blessed By you, we need to spread and share these blessings with others. Thank you, Father, for giving us everything that we need and more. As we leave this place, we ask that you would go with us. Keep us faithful, keep us strong, keep us steadfast. Help us, Father, to do your will as we adjourn from here for the meal we ask your blessings upon that meal that we might have the needs of our bodies met that we might use our bodies in service to you Father we ask that you would be with the family of uh, Junior Sullivan bless them Father, strengthen them Let them lean upon you and upon us and let us help them to to go through this difficult time. Father, we thank you so much for these two young men who want to serve you in a better way and a stronger way. Bless them as they enter this era of their life. Help us to support them in every way, Father. Bless their families as they work together to promote the church. Father, we pray for those that are in the Ukraine, those members of the church that are there that are suffering. We pray for their safety. Father, we pray for their faith. We pray that you would quickly help that situation to become better. Forgive us, Father, when we make and do things that we shouldn't do. Help us to see the wrong and help us to do the right. Go with us as we leave this place. Thank you for taking such good care of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.